so Guru, uh, having looked at various aspects of the industry and so on, uh, help us understand what are the factors that cause volatility in prices of the grains, right? And how do you manage those risks? I know we made some uh, references in the introductory part, uh, but maybe here's a time we could look at it a little more detail to understand uh, what causes the volatility and uh, you know how do you manage the risks. Uh, thanks, Vikar. Uh, we've spoken uh, earlier about the the big picture factors that causes price changes from season to season, which is principally the supply and demand uh, structure. Right. Uh, when you talk of price volatility, by definition, you're talking of a shorter time frames. Uh, right. These time frames can be across months. They can mm -hmm. be, uh, or they can be across days, or they can be even intraday. Correct. Uh, Principally, there are a few factors that cause price volatility. I think the biggest one is uh, uh, is uh, weather. Mm -hmm. uh, weather impacts, and weather not just as in whether it's too hot or too wet, uh, but weather also in terms of the timing. Okay. All crops need a certain weather pattern. They need sufficient subsoil moisture at the time of planting. They mm -hmm. need uh, a certain weather pattern during uh, different stages of growth. Uh, mm -hmm. They need rain sometimes, they need uh, sunlight sometimes, they need heat sometime during its growing cycle. And they need a certain weather at harvest. And they need a certain weather to facilitate storage and movement of uh, grain uh, from the fields into storage facilities. So I think weather is the biggest, uh, has the big biggest impact in the growing cycle. Uh, and then weather by nature, you know, by definition, you have crops growing in both the Northern Hemisphere and, the, and in the Southern Hemisphere, where uh, the growing seasons are contra. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're opposite in, in nature. And therefore, at any point in time, you will always have weather being an influence on short-term price volatility. Mm. Weather arising from the Northern Hemisphere growing season or from the Southern Hemisphere growing season. Mm. Uh, then you have uh, natural disasters or logis logistical disruptions. COVID mm. was an example. Uh, mm. Now, strangely enough, uh, COVID caused, was a factor that caused prices to rally during uh, Q2 and uh, Q3. Mm. And that was principally because supply chain disruptions caused a lot of fear in mm. different uh, consuming nations that they would run out of food. You know, they would run out mm. of grain uh, for their industry, for their feed production. Mm. And therefore governments incentivized importers to go and buy and not run hand to mouth uh, to have adequate uh, three to four month protection. So there was a massive surge of demand, mm. uh, not justified by pure, uh, demand uh, SMD, macro SMD demand requirements. Mm. Uh, and that naturally will cause the short-term uh, volatility in prices. Uh, we mm. saw 20% move across the board in, uh, in our grain prices during that period. Uh, then you have government policy changes that impact price. For instance, India is the biggest importer of veg vegetable oils in the world. Mm. And vegetable oils uh, falls under two categories. Uh, they're either what's called soft oils or they're mm. palm-based products. 
palm-based products are principally <coughs> Malaysia, Indonesia, in or from origin, and uh, soft oils are canola, sunflower, soybean oil, corn oil, and everything in that category. Now, India, uh, because the vegetable oil goes into directly into the human food chain mm. without an intermediate stage. Mm. Uh, the government tends to tweak duty structures mm. either to favor soft oils or to favor uh, uh, palm oil. And therefore that causes imbalances uh, in, the, in, in the prices, uh, price relationships between different components of vegetable oil. So that's an example of how a government intervention and government policies can impact price volatility. Mm. Uh, then you have, uh, if you have structural demand changes that are anticipated or unanticipated, for instance, uh, the Chinese uh, demand for uh, maize and corn in 2019-20, uh, uh, in that season, mm. with mm. China from being a zero, almost a zero, and uh, not a materially significant importer of corn, uh, mm. this year is estimated to import 40 million tons. Mm. Now, by nature, uh, prices tend to anticipate structural changes in demand. And when that demand actually takes place, or when mm. it actually gets materialized, then uh, prices either uh, you know, remain stable, or if that demand doesn't materialize or doesn't materialize in the scale that was anticipated that the price reflected will again got cause changes and adjustments in the price. So these are factors that all of which uh, in combination or individually affect uh, price volatility. Uh, One more, volatility. before we move to the risks, just a question. You also talked about uh, you know, money flow in the earlier part of our discussion and where you talked about uh, hedge funds and others who look at these as asset classes and they make investments in these things. So, so you know, breeding the market based on supply demand balance sheet and so on that we talked about now, um, if they read an opportunity and they invest and then that can also push price in a particular direction, right? So, so that yes. is also will cause volatility or accentuate the already the direction which is moving which will further accelerate the volatility uh, in either direction is that in possible fact, or not possible that's what i was coming to i think that is one oh, of sorry. the biggest sorry. one of the biggest sorry. factors in price volatility and has been so especially in the last decade mm -hmm. is the sheer velocity of money in and out of the markets correct correct and that yeah. causes huge spikes it can accentuate uh, like you rightly said it can accentuate an already uh, existing situation Hmm. Or it can, uh, you know, it can take price uh, volatility, uh, price movements in a different direction altogether because of the sheer okay. scale. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is a huge impact, especially in today's markets, and that's why it's so difficult uh, to deal with uh, with parts, you know, factors that influence price that are not determined uh, or that are not driven by pure fundamentals alone. Pure fundamentals. So, right. so for so us, the business. Mm, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So for us in the business, we have to wear multiple hats. At times, mm. we have to be uh, meteorologists. At times, <laughs> we have to be, uh, uh, you know, we have to be uh, data analysts. At times, we have to track 
We have to be financial. We have to have an idea of what's happening in the financial markets, because all of which have an impact on price. Wonderful summary of what a trader's job is, and I think this will be a great line for uh, uh, you know youngsters who want to enter the trade to understand that what what it is you know that the skill sets and what the knowledge base that that they need to have. Um, so you mentioned that it can also move the these money flows can also move in a different direction. Yeah. Offhand, can you give an example? because which is a different direction from wherever it was sort of like heading to uh, okay uh, if let's say uh, and i'll just use this in a very simple example rather than you know make it too uh, technical or complicated sure if you have an snd a supply and demand structure that mm -hmm. tells you that the price of that the fair price of corn mm. is 200 dollars okay now, two hundred dollars is reflected uh, on the futures exchange, which is uh, the CME. Uh, right. But then CME has, you know, there's uh, just as you have in the stock markets, there is a certain right. volume that trades every day. True. True. And that volume is a function of how much money is deployed uh, into the market that day. Correct. Now, when you have managed money uh, come in that mm. spikes volumes up dramatically during a day mm. for whatever causative factor is there at the back end, whether it's a readjustment of uh, portfolio rebalancing or whatever at the, uh, at, the head, at the fund level. But mm. when a market that normally trades, let's say 100,000 contracts a day, mm. And uh, you suddenly get a flow of uh, 200,000 to 300,000 contracts traded in that day. Mm. You will tend to start moving them, trending the markets in a direction away from what is fair value. Right, right. Okay. That's, that's what you're referring to. Yeah. So ultimately, markets are, uh, mean, you know, what we call mean reverting. They tend to find a yes. state of equilibrium. But in that process of discovery, you go through a lot of ups and downs. Right. So how do you manage these risks? Well, you manage uh, risks. Uh, firstly, you have different skill sets that you need. You need to be uh, a meteorologist. You need to be an agronomist. You need to, you need to know, uh, you need to be a, have a very strong data analytics team, right. uh, research and right. research, not just for information sake or reading reports, etc. cetera. Uh, most of the companies today have, cutting edge research where you have uh, research departments that will constantly analyze and make daily forecasts or adjustments in their, uh, in their balance sheets mm -hmm. uh, on a real time basis that enables you to trade off the conclusions of those changes okay. or to rebalance your positions. Right. So we need to be lower on this. So let's sell whatever X surplus, whatever, right? In a generic yes, in a, sense. In a very or other way around, we are short, you know, we need, we need uh, you know, we don't you have enough. You need to be selling uh, in Argentina, you need to be yeah. buying in the US. Buying in, right, right. So, so you know, product, uh, relative uh, values of products. Correct, correct, okay. Uh, then, uh, so, so first is to equip yourself with the skill sets or mm. have a team that, uh, uh, you, know, you, need, you need to know financials, 
what the financial industry is doing. You need to track what hedge funds are doing, what index funds are doing. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to be able to track the amount of uh, the, what we call a technical term called open interest in, mm -hmm. uh, in contracts, uh, in, in the futures markets. Uh, you need to track, you need to be a technical analyst too. Uh, you need to know volatility, you need to know options, you need to know uh, the technical factors that impact options mm -hmm. uh, and futures. Uh, then, so that's on the skill set side. Then you come to your own space. Now, ultimately, a proper risk management uh, approach, uh, simplistically put, is defined as you you know what your your objective is to define what is where do you draw the line, how much money can I afford to lose, right, without causing a material disruption in my business, how much money can I afford to lose. Uh, uh, on a short-term basis or on a long-term basis? And what is my risk-reward scenario? Is it asymmetrical, uh, skewed more towards reward? And that enables you to define uh, set limits for different parts of your business. So you would put quantitative limits uh, or you would use uh, uh, mathematical tools like one of the, one of the uh, tools that is commonly used in the industry is called a value-at-risk approach. Mm -hmm. VAR, as we call it. Mm. Uh, so VAR is uh, simply uh, a, mathem a statistical estimation of what is the 95 or the 99% probability that you will get more than a one standard deviation move in prices. Okay, yeah. Right, so you define, uh, in simplistically put, it is a measure of how much money basis your current position and your book structure on that day. It's a mathematical calculation of how much money can you potentially gain or lose, mm. depending on which way the market moves mm. within a one standard deviation. Right. It can, and it can never be hundred percent because, uh, uh, you know, by very, by very definition, probably it's a probability. So you right. work on a 95% probability or 99% probability. And that's how, so you define your war limits and you can mm -hmm. define your war limits and break it down into different uh, parts of the business mm -hmm. and have very strong uh, controls. So there needs to be oversight into mm -hmm. uh, what the traders are doing and there needs to be discipline. I think the biggest issue is discipline. Mm. And that is something that comes from within. So systems are only there to help you to the extent that you yourself are disciplined in your approach. Right. And so, so it's completely data-driven. Right. Tell us a little bit about the hedging that you do well, uh, hedging, or, or, or a trader would do. Um, hedging is simply a means of price protection in a volatile market environment. Right. Uh, that's what it simplistically means. So if you were to buy a X product at $100 a ton for use by the time you transform it from an origin to a destination, you're talking of time. So this time value. Right. Right. So how do you protect yourself that one month from today, when the product reaches your factory, that the price is, what happens if the price goes to 150 or it goes to 50? 50, yeah. So you would tend to take contra positions mm -hmm. in a futures exchange mm -hmm. 
to your physical purchases mm. that would enable you to offset that risk mm. it would it would step you know it would bring uh, you know exactly what your financial exposure is so if prices mm. go up mm. you hold product at 100 whose value is 150 yeah but you have a contra an opposite position on the futures exchange where you lose that gain the net sum still means that your product is priced at 100 right 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 and that's how you manage that's how you manage so your in simplistically this is what a hedge is a hedge is taking a, an opposite position of your mainline business that right. insulates you to a certain extent from price risk or it right. you know it removes the variability of uh, prices in your uh, uh, in your inputs so for right. a consumer he would hedge to make sure that his uh, input prices do not fluctuate on a day he knows exactly what the weighted average cost of his purchases are yeah so so the bread manufacturer needs to know what floor prices he would have throughout the year so so that it so that can go into their costing right in simple yeah. very simple terms yeah yeah okay so uh, we talked about volatility at length uh, we talked about Uh, prices so what are the other factors that cause uncertainty in grain business climate is is certainly one so you are, are there some things that you have uh, wanted to add to or sub you know you have you have talked about climate at different stages of our today's discussion um, you know there is uh, there are a few other climate factors you know uh, el nino effect and so on so, well, the, so biggest, you know, the biggest one the biggest one really that i think people should have some insight again without mm-hmm. getting too uh, too much into detail is mm-hmm. the phenomenon of uh, el nino and uh, la nina right and uh, and that has you know people talk of climate change uh, uh, and similar factors global warming in a very generic uh, general sense but el nino and la nina are two phenomenons uh, or two phenomena opposite uh, they have the opposite effect correct uh, uh, and they are principally uh, caused by temperature fluctuations in the mm-hmm. sea surface sea surface temperature okay. fluctuations between the sea surface and the atmosphere in the equatorial pacific region which specifically right. means from the international date line to 120 degrees west so strip aside the technicals uh, it basically means off the coast of peru and chile Right, that's where it right. originates from it's uh, it's a phenomenon that's been existing you know that's been in place for since 161700s you know we're talking 300 400 year old uh, uh, structures but mm. they only people have never understood it and they only mm. started to gain prominence or you know we started to develop a better understanding in the last uh, 10 to 15 years Mm-hmm. now what it does is uh, long story short it has a huge impact on weather across the globe and right. uh, an el nino event is classified as in in layman language it's warm where the sea sur- surface temperatures are warmer than the atmospheric conditions right uh, and la nina is the opposite uh, what does it cause the impact uh, which is more mm. important so the impact mm. of el nino typically is uh, you know it it uh it lasts between 9 to 12 months mm-hmm. every time it occurs it's variable there's no consistency mm. uh and 
it can be between two and seven years uh, between two respective events. Mm. So the last okay. uh, event we had was in 2016. We haven't had uh, a significant El Nino or a La Nina event, a strong event. Glad uh, that it wasn't there in 2020. We had enough of other problems. Well, we are probably, you know, we have, you know, uh, what's called an ENSO oscillation index. So right. El Nino Southern Oscillation Index. And it's an index that measures the probability that you right. will have an El Nino or, El, or a La Nina year. And okay. uh, the probability is starting to trend towards a La Nina year. Now, wow. okay. again, coming back uh, to the impact of uh, this and ultimately it impacts weather which mm -hmm. impacts crop sizes, which impacts supply and demand balance sheet structures, which impacts mm -hmm. prices, which right. impacts correlations between different commodities. Mm -hmm. uh, and this has a huge impact. So in the US, it means uh, you get a wetter, much wetter and uh, south and a mm -hmm. drier north. Mm -hmm. And I'm covering specific uh, countries and regions that are important from uh, mm -hmm. an agronomy point of view for because mm. this is where the bulk of the supply side is. Mm. Uh, in Canada, it causes a, west, a, wet, uh, a wet western part of Canada and a wet central part. Mm -hmm. In Argentina, in the growing cycle, it's, uh, it starts off as dry and then mm -hmm. ends with a wetter finish. So you have to manage both. You got to ensure that there's yeah. enough subsoil moisture right. uh, at the start. And you got to ensure that your harvest is not you don't lose yield or you don't lose uh, acre, uh, crop because of floods and, uh, and, uh, and during the harvest. Yeah. In Brazil, it, you know, it's a wetter South Brazil and a drier North Brazil. And you have, uh, you know, Brazil is a huge country. So you have right. uh, crops growing all the way from South to the North. So it can cause major imbalances. Uh, in Australia, generally causes a hot and dry season. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is, these are all El Nino events. Uh, in Asia, generally, it causes dryness. Mm. Uh, in India, it uh, causes heat and, uh, uh, and dryness. So this, this is the impact of an El Nino event. And it, mm. it can impact one entire crop cycle. And right. La Nina is, is you just flip it and uh, that's mm. the impact of La Nina. So in Asia, you will have a much wetter uh, growing. Uh, you'll have a lot more rain that, you know, things that you don't anticipate. I don't know, maybe what we see nowadays is uh, is a uh, is a forerunner. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> knows? that's typically what you see when you get these uh, things that you've never been used to in the past. Massive floods everywhere, massive droughts mm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. Usually, they all originate back from uh, uh, the uh, El Nino, uh, the La Nina phenomenon. Right. Interesting. Thanks. Thanks for uh, you know, people periodically hear about these, but it's good to understand them uh, much better. Thanks. Um, you know, one of the things which I recently read, uh, sort of like, was uh, um, eye-opening for me. That you know, and in your previous question, you talked about global warming. So, so that's where I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, leading with this. That. Um, what I read is that one of the unintended consequences of global warming can be that in that Eastern Russia, the Siberian Russia will 
become more arable and you know they will have more arable land and russia will start developing more of its agriculture so it's not doesn't end at the you know the wheat granary and you know the granary in ukraine and that region but it further extends significantly into the east of russia and they would be able to develop its agriculture and export grains so obviously it can increase supply or take care of any short wall shortfalls so any thoughts on 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 this on this but personally i don't believe uh, that despite global warming i don't believe the, that the eastern part of russia or in the siberia or that bloody vostok that side will ever be uh, arable uh, mm-hmm. at least not in our lifetimes maybe in the not even in the next generation too because these changes happen very slowly so we are talking 50 100 years who knows Uh, but haven't there been some reports that you know across the china russia border some lands have become more arable and uh, people are uh, to the uh, in a small scale way possible in pockets not in a materially significant uh, way so as to impact global business and certainly mm-hmm. will not have the kind of yield structure that would make it economical so okay. it could be done for uh, you know to somebody the government wants to make a point okay uh, it's possible you know i could take 20 acres and do something with it and uh, say that yes it's possible but mm. uh, it's not uh, it's not a materially significant uh, influencing factor okay uh, but I th- having said that uh, the eastern european countries is where the next phase of growth is going to come from rather they're already big now and they're becoming an increasingly important part of global trade because uh you have pretty much maxed out to a large extent acreages in the us and in south america where mm-hmm. uh where the uh, in a way you put the industry is pretty mature right in brazil of course there is still the push towards the amazon so to clear out land uh and that causes another issue with environmental uh, factors But that's right. where the acreage is otherwise you're pretty much maxed out unless you go into the amazon you more or less maxed out your acreage give or take a few uh so the question is on a much broader scale if you have to keep up the supply pace uh, the pace of supply or the growth of supply to the growth mm. of demand where is that extra acreage going to come from now that's mm-hmm. where the black sea regions so you're talking of uh all the central asian nations all the stans uh, right Uh, Kazakhstan, uh, uh, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, etc. Plus Ukraine and Russia in the mm. in the region around the Black Sea. Right. Uh, that is, you know, that is where the huge growth in uh, on the supply side is going to come from. Materially significant. It's already there, been there for the last ten, fifteen years. But then there's another factor to keep in mind, which is it's one thing to have growth in supply. but it's also another thing to transform that from the origin to the destination ie right meaning you've got to have facilities and infrastructure to be able to consolidate store that bring that to the ports put it on ships and take it somewhere else and that cause that takes time and it needs huge investments and that's what's really so been happening so will the silk road initiative will that no, it cannot benefit? be by land no. it cannot be by land it has to be by sea because uh, okay. that is the cheapest way of transportation land transportation is one of the most expensive ways of transforming uh, 
uh, product or moving it from point A to point B. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And certainly not in the sizes that the world needs. Right. So these are some interesting thoughts about like where we are, you know, where the world could go or where the the uh, grain business could go. So that leads us to, you know, uh, what would be your closing thoughts in terms of like outlook over the next uh, five years or so? Or you longer, you you take the timeline. I'll be flexible on that. And do you see shortages, oversupply? you know, with these com- countries coming in, wet- and weather phenomenon, how do you see these things uh, playing out, balancing each other? I think the world is pretty resilient uh, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that uh, the market we always say is mean reverting, meaning yes. that the market always, the supply and demand factors go through a transition phase and its focal point is to find equilibrium. Right. Uh, Now, in that process, you could have disruptions, you could have imbalances uh, that create price volatility, but Mm -hmm. the function of prices and uh, price volatility is to bring markets back to mean reverting. So the factors that are controllable, so the things that I see the direction in which the industry will move, and in a very broad way, is you will have major you will have major uh, improvements or focus on uh, forecasting. Okay. Uh, crop cycles, for instance, uh, using satellites uh, maps uh, to determine subsoil moistures, as an instance, to determine where you will plant the next crop. Correct, correct. Right? Correct. You will have a greater study and more accuracy on meteorology. Uh, right. So, for instance, some of the grain trading companies, uh, one of my previous company, we employed uh, three uh, meteorologists whose only job wow. was day in and day out was to study weather maps and disseminate that information. And then you had a right. set of data analytics guys who would transform that information into numbers mm-hmm. on which people could make decisions on. Right. So are you heading towards an internal weather channel on Slack? No, I, I don't think you'll get to that stage. But uh, and that's, So you will have more and more sophistication in forecasting. You will have major uh, investment in approaches in, uh, in uh, data analytics. Right. Uh, you will have, uh, ultimately, the world, you know, there's only so much of land. So it's a question of how efficiently you use it or how much you how much juice you can squeeze out of what is already available. So if you're talking technology changes uh, that would, let's say, materially uh, impact, uh, you know, would cause a 30%, 40% increase in supply. Uh, I don't believe we're there as yet. I mean, it probably needs to be an Einstein type discovery if something happens like that. But also I don't believe that is warranted because ultimately your supply is only to meet uh, an equilibrium level of uh, demand right? and to ensure food security. I think food security concerns with these Would weather the, changes yeah. is also going to be an, uh, a major factor. Uh, governments are increasingly getting concerned about food security. Food security, yes. Yes. Uh, you will continue to have uh, developments in seed research, better quality seeds, more resistant seeds, more uh, yield bearing uh, seeds, mm-hmm. uh, agronomy practices also likewise. So mm-hmm. I, the areas that will influence 
production, mm -hmm. reduce uh, losses through better handling systems is the direction right. I believe the industry is going. Also, one important factor uh, that I see the industry moving forward, and I have no idea how far it will succeed, uh, mm -hmm. which is there's a huge move among the majors uh, to move towards a paperless system of documentation right, right. through the use of blockchain technologies. Yeah. And right, right now, right. It's, it's purely in uh, an experimental stage. True, uh, true. But I'm glad you brought what, that up. Yeah. yeah, it's what people are actually starting to think about, not just think about, actually start to implement. Uh, so at least consumer at the other end can know what are the, where were the origins and where were the processing and et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, not identity And tracing. for the industry itself to know. Not identity tracing really, but more in terms of today you need, you know, when you transform or when you ship, Mm. Uh, product from point A to point B. There's a certain mm. set of documents, certain government okay. documents, certain invoices, yep, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. et cetera. All those today, by the time uh, uh, it takes between 15 to 20 days, by the time it goes from one place to another All place, because it has to go on, it has to get produced as a physical paper. It has to go through your own internal processing systems, through the banking system, to the mm. consumer. So that takes right. time. So the idea is to bring more efficiency into the whole process by using blockchain, but then there's many parts of it that still have to be implemented. But right. it's a direction that the industry could move to. Personally, I have my uh, doubts as to uh, how long that would take uh, mm -hmm. and to what extent you could incorporate that in a, a very basic industry like ours. Mm -hmm. Uh, but time will tell. Okay, that's a wonderful note to you know point to end this uh, discussion and bring it to a, to a close. Uh, thank you, Guru, for excellent insights on you know how the grain business operates, what are the challenges, what are the factors that cause uh, you know uh, price changes, volatility, uncertainty, you know climate impact, and you know, uh, at different stages and towards the end, we talked about various kinds of technological impacts that are, you know, that your industry is facing and the transformation that it is undergoing. Um, you know, wonderful insights. Uh, and uh, listeners, uh, subscribe to Move Conversations as well as our uh, new channel in that uh, trade stuff where we, you know guru kicked it off and then uh, we would have uh, others uh, to follow this and uh, so please do tune in and uh, stay subscribed to our channels thank, thank you, you very much thank you. thank you very much for having me on the on this program and uh, i hope uh, it gives uh, it tickles a few imaginations and uh, gives a bit more insight into what the industry is at a practical level Oh, I'm very sure. Students or for sure. practitioners or whoever. So yep. thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till, till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.